Hey, good to be with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> preach it, she says. Preach it. He, she. I, I know that God's going to bless us as we uh, lean into the, uh, the gap that Nick talked about. And I want to say how much we appreciate the sacrifice some of you people make to be faithful stewards uh, in God's kingdom. We appreciate how you're leaning in and you're trusting Jesus and you're, you're believing that God's going to meet this goal. Uh, he's going to meet the goal, right? And we're going to see him do amazing things. This will position us for, for further mission and outreach into our city this coming year because we're starting a brand new year on July 1st. And uh, we just believe God will, will bless us as we bring faithfully his portion into the storehouse. So let's be faithful in that. See that goal reached. And I just also want to echo what Nick said about this last week with the Soul Care Conference. I mean, I really do believe God has shaped us as a church through this experience I believe that he's called us to get ready for another whole level of kingdom ministry in our city. Uh, so many people uh, met God. It's, it's hard to even describe. And on Tuesday night, we, we, uh, we had a healing event. I preached on the biblical view of healing out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, we activated a healing moment through words of knowledge, which was something we've never done before. And God highlighted several people here. Uh, through those who had words of knowledge, and then we went and prayed for them, and we had others stand up who needed prayer, and probably out of all of that, 40-plus people were healed. That's a good day in the kingdom, right? It's awesome. So many other people were, were uh, able to meet God in special ways. A friend of mine, Clarence Jaycox, he's a pastor way up north uh, with First Nations people. He comes up to me on Wednesday morning after the healing event on Tuesday night, and he says, hey, Sandy, come here. He says, look at my hand. He said, these three fingers... They were paralyzed for about 20 years. And he says, look at them now. It's like, oh. And he was just like a kid. I'm serious. He was like, I can't believe this. I told my wife, and I'm bringing her prayer needs forward, and we're praying for her, her even though she's not there. And I said, Clarence, it's time to take up the banjo. I think God wants you to do that. You're free now. You can go there. Uh, so if you were there this week, you know that God was just doing phenomenal, phenomenal things. And it all comes out of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen? This is not anything new. It's not anything strange. It's the real deal. And so many people uh, met God. And I just believe that he's, he's preparing our church for even greater things than we can even imagine. So let's be encouraged about that. All right. Uh, we're in our sixth message in the series called The Pursuit. We're looking at the life of David in the Old Testament, and what we're finding out is that as we pursue God, we actually find him. And for some reason, God wants to be pursued. Uh, that's just the way he set it up in our relationship with him. And when we have passion, and when we have faith, and when we have surrender, we're going to find God at the end of that pursuing journey. And here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 30, uh, as we get to see David up close and personal in his life, we actually see him in a moment of real despair and devastation. Uh, this was a time when he, he felt very defeated and he had a great loss occur in his life. The question is, can David overcome it? And uh, we're going to look at that here in a moment, but I want you to know where I'm going with this talk today. I want you to know that it's possible to regain the ground you've lost. Have you ever lost ground as a person? I have. Ever lost ground as a believer? I have. Ever lost ground as someone who's called of God? I have. We can regain the ground we've lost. Amen? And David's life is a great story and example 
of how that occurs. So 1 Samuel chapter 30, the first six verses, they'll be up on the screen. Let me read them for you right now. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. We'll just hold up on our reading right there. It is possible for someone to lose ground as they're following God after their own heart is telling them to go after things and the Lord has for them. It's possible for them to lose some ground. And it happens in our lives when we make mistakes, when we make a a fatal uh, error in judgment, when we sin, when we don't take care of the things that we're supposed to take care of. This can happen in our marriages, it can happen in our careers, it can happen in our families, it can happen to someone that you love, it can happen even when you just don't take that opportunity to get ahead and then it it leaves you and it seems to never come back again. There can be moments of devastation that come into our lives. The question is, can we regain our ground? A friend of mine, Scott Weatherford, puts it this way, trials are circumstances to grow you and tests are lessons to teach you. It's hard to tell the one from the other at times, right? They just seem to be almost indistinguishable. They can look and feel the same, and it's a good thing that God is so loving and so good that he just refuses to leave us alone because he wants us to recover the ground that we've lost. Remember that, friends. We can recover the ground that we've lost. And also remember that we live in a fallen world. Is this a perfect place? No, Not yet. Also, we're at war. There's a cosmic battle going on all the time over the people of God. We don't get worried about that. We don't get freaked out about it. We just know that the scriptures say we're in a battle. And that means that we need to be in a battle posture as we seek to advance in the kingdom with Jesus. And in this battle and in this contest, we have moments where we feel weak And where we at times make mistakes, we make a blunder. Consequences come rolling into our lives without us wanting them to. And we have to figure out, are we ever going to regain the ground we've lost? Friends, I have been there. I have come through that experience. I'm alive to tell you that, yes, you can recover the ground that you've lost. I've recovered ground that I've lost in my leadership role. I've had to apologize at times to our church over the many years that I've been here and say, I'm so sorry, I got it wrong. We've had to recover ground in our family and seen God do extraordinary things there. God is a God who enables us to recover ground. So when I'm preaching today, I I am not just talking about something theoretical here, okay? This is very personal to me. 
This is very real in my own life. So the question is, how do you regain the ground that you've lost? Well, it begins with this. You've got to face your loss. Now, this is a bad day in the life of David at Ziklag. Probably one of his worst days, but not the worst. Maybe second worst. It's like that storybook for young kids. You know, the terrible, no good, very bad day. It just gets worse and worse and worse with every chapter. David's like, oh, can this day end? This is like a nightmare that I'm living through. And here's the nasty part about it. This day was bad in David's life largely because of his fault. He made the bad decision that resulted in the burning of Ziklag. What is Ziklag? It's a strange kind of thing, isn't it? It sounds kind of weird. Ziklag is a place. And uh, it was given to David as a location to live and, and uh, where his family and, and his soldiers could could turn into a village. They needed somewhere to live because King Saul was, was not in favor of David. And so David found favor in the Philistine army and the Philistine tribal leader says, I'll give you Ziklag as a place you can live. It's a little village area. And so the idea is that David was, 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 was there in Ziklag. He was raising his family, but he was called out to battle and he took all of his soldiers with him and they went off to fight a war and they didn't leave any soldiers back home. That was a big leadership blunder on his part. He never protected the things that were dearest to him and nearest to him. He left his family vulnerable. And so this mistake that he made was quite terrifying to him. Have you ever made a mistake like that where you've left something unguarded in your life just for a moment and then you've lived to regret it? It might be that you've left unguarded your family or your marriage or your personal heart life or something in your job or in your career. You just, you know, you took your eyes off the ball for a while and all of a sudden things go down a different track and you're like, oh my goodness, it happened quickly. It does happen to people. It's a Ziklag experience. So David faces his loss. In fact, he faces it head on. The way a man should. So I want to speak to men here for a moment. Men, when we make mistakes, we need to face them. We need to say, this happened, and it happened under my watch. we got to own it. We can't pass the buck or blame someone else. we just got to say, this is mine to own. That's Ziklag. And so I picture David walking into the mess that he had created now. He, he comes back to his village. He finds out there's no women there, no children there, no animals there, and the place is burned to the ground. And it wrecks him. He's been off fighting a battle, and he, he comes back too late to rescue everyone who's taken away by an Amalekite raiding party. There's smoke in the air. There's the haze of gloom over Ziklag that's like a thick, heavy blanket. It's oppressive. And then it tells us in verse 4 that David and those with him, they just lost it. It says, David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength to weep. Try to imagine that. Grown men, soldiers, on their knees in the ashes of Ziklag, probably with tears streaming down their faces, all of them shouting out loud how, how awful this is and Weeping and, and tearing their, their garments open. Oh, we shouldn't have left home without someone staying here and protecting the women and children. 
Some of the soldiers looked across at David and thought, you're the leader, you let this happen. And the text tells us they were thinking of stoning him. This is a very bad day in the life of David. So they wept until they could weep no more. The only thing that these soldiers can conclude as they're weeping is they will probably never see their wives ever again or their children. They're either killed and thrown into some ravine or they're now slaves on their way to Egypt where most of the slaves would have ended up. But they face it. And I love this, that David faces it. He does what has to be done. And you know, it's hard to face your losses, isn't it? It's kind of humiliating and kind of icky. It's like, oh, I don't like facing my losses. Sometimes it's the last thing that we want to do. And yet still, if we're going to regain our ground back, we've got to understand true reality. And then after that, we need to strengthen ourselves. That's part of regaining ground. So in this moment of devastation, David has a choice to make. What am I going to do? Am I going to run and hide? Am I going to capitulate to this feeling of shame and, and regret and just fall on the ground in the fetal position? He's under so much pressure that he doesn't really know for a moment what to do, and he's really only got two choices. One is fall down and collapse with a heart attack and, and die, or get up and face it and say there's only one person who can help me through this, and that person would be God. Guess which option he chose? Verse 30, or verse 6, chapter 30, David found strength in the Lord his God. Right at that moment. Notice it doesn't say the Lord strengthened David. It says, David found strength in the Lord his God. And the NIV translates it in a way that suggests that David was asking for help and he got it. But it's a uh, it's partly that, but a sharper translation would sound like this. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David paid attention to his own life at this moment. I don't know if you got the subtle change of nuance here. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. It's not so much that the Lord strengthened him, it's that David strengthened himself in the Lord. David is the subject. The Lord's involved, but the focus is what David does. See, this is all about something called the divine human partnership. And uh, this is where we look at there's God's part, where he provides capacity and strength, and there's our part in which we strengthen ourselves. It's the divine human partnership. And I think it reminds us that God will not do everything for us in this life. Now, there's two ways that you can be strengthened by God. Let me just explain them to you. The first way is this. You wait upon God for his strength. That's the normal way that you receive power from God. That's very biblical, right? Acts chapter 2, they're waiting in the upper room. Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait till you be endued with power from on high. So the Listen to the words of Jesus. They go there and they wait and they wait and they wait. And finally, the Holy Spirit of God comes upon them as a church and strengthens them. And they're like, yeah, they received his power. And they went out as witnesses and the world was changed. Friends, that is the normal way that we 
get the power of God. We wait upon Him. We trust Him. We, we are surrendered. We're kind of in a posture of just expectancy. That's the normal way we receive the touch of His power. But there's another way in the Scriptures that we get His power, and it happens in rare situations like this where we access His power and we lay hold of it and bring it into our lives. That's exactly what David did. He knew that his God was a God of strength, and so he went to God, and he took the strength of God. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. There wasn't much waiting going on here. And this reminds us that we need to be vitally involved in the process of our own victories. Right? We can't just sort of sit back and just say, oh God, you know, like whenever you're ready, do this for me and do that for me, you know. God does do amazing things for us, but every now and then, in extreme situations like this, God's saying, I am actually waiting for you to access my strength instead of me just pouring it on you. Why does he do that? I don't know. Ask him. God can do whatever he wants. It's kind of like this in the New Testament, verse uh, Philippians 2, 12, 13. It says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act to fulfill his good purpose. Did you get the two sides to that? You continue to work out your salvation. Work it out. Because it is God who works in you to will and to act to fulfill his good purpose. That's the rhythm of living a life of victory and power. It's a divine partnership. In other words, friends, I have got to take responsibility for my own human part in something called the divine human partnership. I have to get involved. And I think we can actually put it this way when it comes to our salvation. If you're working for your salvation, you'll never get it. But if you're working out your salvation, you've already received it. That's a really good quote, Sandy. Someone should just share that out to the universe. If you're working for your salvation, you'll never get it because you can't get saved by works. But if you're working out your salvation, you already have it. Salvation is a, is a gift. It comes into our lives by grace through faith. Dallas Willard, who's now in heaven, used to teach us this at Fuller Seminary. He said, remember this, people, remember this, that grace is opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. We don't earn anything from God, but there is an effort required. And grace, if you look at it in the scriptures, it runs on parallel tracks with the Holy Spirit all the way through the New Testament. You can interchange them, actually. Grace is the operative power of God at work in the believer's life. And so, you know, people that access this, they understand this really works. So many times, you know, we minister to people who want Jesus to come into their life and, and swoop in and make all these house changes on the interior of their lives and, and make everything nice and good inside of their souls, but they're not necessarily willing to do the, their part in the working out. And often what we find is 
we run into issues called the, the bent will or the weak will. That some Christians, even though they cry and, and are upset and they're sad and they want to change, and you know, our pastors meet with them all the time. All the time. We're busy with people meeting them all the time. We're saying, okay, we love you. And, and you know, I think this is the next step that you need to take. And they go, I can't take that step. So, yes, you can. I can't. They don't want to. They're not willing to do their part in the divine human relationship. They got this bent will. They're like, oh, I'm so weak. Well, if you keep looking at yourself, it's just going to get worse. Yeah, I resolved a long time ago. I'm not going to look at myself anymore the way I see myself. I look at myself the way God sees me. And I'm like, oh, so I can actually like myself. It's a breakthrough thought for many of us, right? We're actually all right. It's called new creation. It's called our identity is in him, in Jesus. We're the sons, we just sang it. We're the sons and the daughters. We're free. We're going to live out of that identity. I don't know, you ever meet any uh, lazy Christians? I have met many. They have jobs, a lot of them. They work, they pay their bills, they cut their grass, they attend church, they read their Bibles. But sometimes they're lazy They're lazy because they don't pay attention to the work needing to be done in their souls. And our souls need constant work. And so these people, you know, they they want to know that they're going to be okay, that they're going to go to heaven, and God, of course, gives assurance on that, and we can live in that. But God wants us to have more than assurance about going to heaven. God wants to give us assurance that we can live out the kingdom life right now. In real time. Here's a spine-shaking quote that we get from Rob Reamer, a friend of this house. He says, if you're not a threat to hell, you're a danger to the church. Now, you either like that or it hurts. (laughs) If you're not a threat to hell, you're actually bad advertisement. Your life is sending the wrong message to those who don't know God. And if that's perhaps true about us and we don't care, then we're even in worse shape because that means our conscience isn't working very well and we've probably shut down the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives in some areas. The challenge is, will we accept the responsibility that we are involved in the work of soul care? Here's a secret. God will not necessarily give back all of our ground without us being involved. We've got to cooperate with him. He provides the strength. He provides the capacity. But he's saying to many of us, take the next step. Yeah, but I don't know if it's you. Well, by faith, just take it, right? If it's good and pleasing to the Father, if it's something that with wisdom you would say this is the right direction to follow God, take it. And listen in and let God show you how to fulfill that. David did this. David took responsibility for himself, just like you and I need to take responsibility for ourselves under God. So can I pastorally invite you into that experience? Please, please, for the sake of the kingdom of Jesus, take responsibility for your life. No one else can. We can support, we can strengthen, you know, we can help, we can pray, we can resource you, we can train you, we can love you and all that. But at the end of the day, 
if we don't take responsibility for our lives as followers of Jesus, we ain't going nowhere. It is possible to regain the ground we've lost. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So I asked myself on Friday when I was putting this together, how did David do that? I mean, he's got soldiers around him. What did he do? Did he just say, you know what, hang on a minute. Dial up on his cell phone, his his pastor, and say, hey, I'm in real trouble here. I really blew it. I made a big mistake. Leadership decision. Um, Lots of consequences. What do I do? No, he didn't do that. He couldn't do that. How did David strengthen himself? Well, if you know David from the Psalms that he wrote, you know that he was the kind of guy that would not play around with these kind of moments in his life, but he would enter into them deeply. And so I picture David doing something like this. Soldiers, I just got to go for a walk. I'll be back in a half an hour. And off he goes to some treed area, and he goes like this. Okay, no one's looking. Oh, God, help! Oh, God! Ah! Oh, what is wrong with you? Oh, sick, I just, I blew, it's my fault. I should have left soldiers. God, I'm sorry, I repent of not having soldiers here. Please forgive me, thank you in Jesus' name. Whoo, thank you. Okay, soul, 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 soul. Listen up, this is not the end of your life. You're gonna make it, soul. Okay, yeah, I believe. No, I mean, you're really gonna make it. Oh, I don't really feel it, though. But the Lord's gonna bring you through. He brought you through before. He's gonna bring you through again, again, and again, and again, and again. Oh, yes, Jesus. Oh, yes, God. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, thank you for your strength. Okay. <laughs> Men, here's what we need to do. Now, he wasn't praying to Jesus because he didn't use that word back then, but that name, but <laughs> Yahweh, the Lord. I think David knew what to do because he'd done it before. He's like, I I have had to strengthen myself before because I'm such a schmuck. I make so many screw-up mistakes. I have to go to God again, and I have to go to my soul, and i got to say, soul, wake up, wake up, come on, wake up. Don't fall down into despair and defeat. This is not the end of your life. This is the beginning of a new chapter. We learn that from David. It's kind of like that verse in Ephesians chapter 6, you know, Paul going into the spiritual warfare chapter, and he says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He didn't just say, Hey, God has a bunch of strength for you. He said, Take it. Take it. There are times you got to take it. This just happened to me like four weeks ago. I, we had just come through a very intense run, Holy Spirit encounter weekend and Easter, and there's a lot going on in our church that we don't even tell you about that's just normal stuff that happens here as part of the ministry base, and, and you know we're getting ready for next year now and all that kind of stuff, and I'm exhausted. I am so exhausted. I'm like, I'm looking ahead, and I go, oh, God, there's another conference coming up, and there's a long series to launch here called The Pursuit, and there's AGM, and there's this, and there's that, and I'm like, I, I just don't have the strength. And I was walking around my place where I, I pray outside, and, uh, and, I, and I didn't feel victory at all. And the thought came to me, strengthen yourself. And so I started to pray like David. Okay, this ends right now. Weakness, it, you know, I can't control that, but I'm going to access God's power. And if his power is made perfect in my weakness, I'll take it that way. I don't care. I just need that power. And I started praying this kind of prayer over my life. God, 
I need your help. I need actual energy. I need a joyful spirit. I need to say no to sin every single day in my life. I need to say yes to righteousness. God, help me out here. And the power of God came. Really, I accessed it. And there are times when that doesn't seem to work for me. And you know what I do? I go get prayed for by Dan Jones, our elder. Because when Dan prays over me, oh my goodness. (laughs) Which he just did at 1030. Stuff shifts inside me. God is saying, I'm ready to strengthen you. Are you willing to step out in faith? Are you willing to take it? And then regaining ground means that we ask God for his direction. It means that we say, I'm not going to trust my own planning here. I'm not going to trust my own instincts. I am actually going to go to God and say, what should I do now? That's what David did. Verse 7, David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. What's an ephod? Well, it's kind of a tunic that priests would wear or a special uh, spiritual seekers. And Abiathar brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? It's kind of like an official moment where David's like, okay, I'm here in the Lord's presence. Official request. Shall I do this? Shall I pursue the raiding party? Will I overtake them? And he's waiting on God. We don't know. Here's the waiting part now. He's waiting and waiting. And then God speaks to him somehow, someway, and says, pursue them. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. And you know what? This step that David takes, this reveals his character. This shows us what he's really like. Because he doesn't just fly off the handle after he sees the village burned to the ground. He doesn't just say to his fellow fellow soldiers, Strap on your swords, we're going after the raiding party. He doesn't act in rage or anger. He goes to the Lord himself and seeks counsel from God. Can I tell you this? God loves to give us counsel. And I think David here is magnanimous in his spirit. This is why he's king material. Because he gets it. He realizes, you know what? I could come up with my own plans of how to get out of the mess I'm in because I've lost some ground, but I actually want God's divine perspective on how to regain my territory. So, Lord, I'm seeking your face on that. Friends, have you ever done that? I encourage you to. God will counsel you. <laughs> you see, God is willing to reveal things to his people. Jeremiah 33.3, God says, Call to me, and I will answer you. And show you great and mighty things that you do not know. But you got a call to me. You make the call. And I will answer you. Jesus said it in other ways. He, he said, whoever asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And in the original language, it's in the continuous present tense. Meaning, whoever asks and keeps asking. Whoever knocks and keeps knocking. Whoever seeks and keeps seeking will find. So there are times in your life when you just need to say, God, what do I do now? I have gotten myself into quite a mess, and I need divine perspective on it. Friends, this works in your family for relationships. This works in your marriage. This works in business. I've talked to business leaders here in our church who've been led by the Holy Spirit to make unbelievably great business decisions. God cares about your business. God's given you the gifts that you have to 
to make things work and to advance things. Of course he's in that realm. Of course. He just wants you to seek him for it. And that involves recognizing that God's ways aren't our ways. Remember Isaiah chapter 55? Isaiah is a great book of the Bible. You know, when you're doing your daily time with God, which I hope you do, I I always read a psalm a day and usually another chapter somewhere in the New Testament. And I often read a chapter in Isaiah because there's such great prophetic material especially in the second half of Isaiah, chapters 40 on, that it's like you can just allow it to speak to you directly. So here's Isaiah 55. God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's just saying, just in case you forgot, I think differently than you. I see things differently than you. So seek me. Seek me. Then for regaining ground, we need to pursue our victory. I I don't know if you know this or not, but there are victories in store for you. They are yours to lay hold of. But also, some of them aren't yours until you go get them. Well, doesn't Jesus do everything for us? Well, he does the ultimate for us. But there are some things he calls us to take the steps forward in ourselves to lay hold of the victories. We see this in chapter 30, verses 9 through 20. Let me read the story of the victory that David gets into here. It says, David and the 600 men with him came to the Bezor Valley, where some stayed behind. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley, but David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, who do you belong to? Where do you come from? He said, I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Carathites, some territory belonging to Judah, and the Negev of Caleb, And we burned Ziklag. And I can picture David going, you're the guy. David asked him, can you lead me down to this raiding party? By the way, he's just not asking that so he can go down and say hi. (laughs) He answered, swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master and I'll take you down to them. He led David down, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the hand of the Philistines and from Judah. Notice this. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day, and none of them got away. It's a 24-hour battle for David and his soldiers. Except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled, David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, this is David's plunder. Oh, I love that. He regained back what he lost. He got it back. God is a God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance 
and the fifth chance for those believers who will dare to go to him when they're facing their loss and say, God, I know I don't deserve this, but would you give me your plan as I strengthen myself in you to go and rescue what is mine? Our God is a restoring God, and he shows up in amazing ways. But we are involved in this. We're to partner with God in these kind of activities. And something that uh, Dr. Martin Sanders, who spoke here last Sunday, he shared with us at Soul Care Week is kind of a way of understanding the divine-human partnership. Can I show you what it looks like? You take this, here's one hand, and this represents my life, my soul, and this hand represents the Holy Spirit. Are you ready? This is what the divine-human partnership looks like. That's how God wants to work in us. It's not the Holy Spirit way over there. It's the Holy Spirit up close and personal. And he's like, yeah, that's good. That's when we feel the strength of the Lord. That's when we sense his presence in our lives. We cooperate with him. That means that I will do whatever it takes to strengthen myself in the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12, it says, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. We've got to strengthen ourselves. And that means I will not wallow in self-pity. You ever been tempted to do that? It's nasty stuff, isn't it? Can we just make it obvious here? Self-pity is not a virtue. You get no points for feeling sorry for yourself. None at all. God's not moved by that ever. He's like, ugh. Ugh. Come on, snap out of it. See, self-pity, if you dig down deep enough, it's rooted in pride because the, the center of attention is you, right? It's just how you see yourself. I have to choose at times to get out of that ditch, not feel sorry for myself. Why would I ever feel sorry for myself? When I think about what God has done for me, like, come on. He's done so much for me. And he really likes me. And and he's taking care of me. I don't understand everything he does. I don't have to. But I know he's good. I know he's good. I've tasted and seen that God is good. So here we get into that trap of thinking, oh, my life is such a ruin. It's just going nowhere. It's just going downhill. Well, it will continue to do so if you keep looking at it that way. You need to face your loss. You need to strengthen yourself in the Lord. You need to pursue your victory. Remember, he supplies power to us, and sometimes we have to go and get it. Most of the time, it's just given to us. But sometimes, God's like, you won't even sense it until you reach out and take it. So we ask God for his direction. We pursue victory. And then, finally, we mark the moment with celebration. Can I say this about our church culture in this part of the world? I think that we need to learn how to celebrate better. Yeah. (laughs) And we need help, so... Maybe you can help us uh, do that. Yeah. It's not like we don't want to celebrate. It's like, well, all we know is what not to do, right? 
Because we know the people that are not close to God, they celebrate in ways that are dishonoring to their, themselves and God, and, and we don't want to do that. And so then we end up kind of doing nothing. And we're like, where's the joy in our lives? Well, you know what? Joy has to be expressed. Right? That's why Paul said in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. We have to learn how to celebrate. We need to learn how to throw good parties. When I say the word party, some of you go, ooh, that's a bad word. It's a religious upbringing thing. It's like, stay away from parties. Can we redeem the word party? Can we have kingdom parties that are honoring to God, that are honoring to one another? Of course we can. And the Bible's full of examples like that, you know, and you know, I think of Matthew, the tax collector, who comes to faith in Jesus, becomes an apostle, and he quits his tax collector job. And what does he do? He throws a kingdom party, and he invites Jesus. Funny thing is, Jesus likes to hang around with people who are not yet in the kingdom. Isn't that interesting? They don't have to get all cleaned up before they meet him. They can have Matthew parties. David shares the spoils of the recovery mission with everybody who's involved. They go, they reach, they reach the Amalekites, they, they take back everything, everything gets restored, and David celebrates. Look at verse 26. When David reached Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to the elders of Judah who were his friends saying, hey, that's just my words, here is a gift for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. There's a lot in that statement. This is a massive celebration moment. All 600 soldiers were restored to their families. All the kids are running to their dads. Dad! Everybody's back together. They're hugging. Somebody's pulling out a guitar. They're singing. They kill the fattened calf. They're eating. They're dancing. They're like, yeah, we won. We won. They celebrate very, very well. Think of the other moments of celebration in the Bible. With this, I'll invite our worship team back up. Think of those other celebration moments in the Bible. You know, a woman loses one of her ten coins. It's silver. In Luke 15, it tells us she, she wanted that coin to be found, and so it tells us she got her broom out, and she swept the whole house, kept sweeping it, sweeping it, sweeping it, until finally she sees a sparkle, and she sees that coin, and she recovers it, and she says to her friends, celebrate with me, I found my coin on another occasion, a shepherd loses one of his 100 sheep, and it drives him nuts. So he leaves the 99 sheep out in the open field, tells us, and he goes out on this adventure to reclaim what was lost. And finally, he finds that sheep, and he puts it on his shoulders, and he brings it back, and he says to his friends, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And then there's another story about a young guy who leaves home in Luke 15 and squanders his inheritance and lives with people who are far from God and delving into sin and he, he, he makes a mess of his life. And then one day he comes to his senses. He said, what am I doing here? I will get up and I will go to my father. And he did that. And you know what he found out? As he was heading home, his father was running to him. And they celebrated. 
threw a big party for him, killed the fattened calf. Everybody came and ate and drank and they all knew this is a big moment because God has restored someone. Someone was lost and they got found. Someone came back home. Someone who lost everything got back the most important things. That's the kind of God that we believe in. And we find ourselves there, don't we? I want to say this to you. God is outrageously excited and happy and celebrates every moment of you coming back to Him to regain ground. And He's ready to do that for any of us today. It is possible for every one of us to regain what we've lost. But we've got to get going on it. So bow your hearts with me and we'll take a moment and we'll pray right now. It's time for some of us to reclaim some lost ground. God wants you to take a step today. He's not going to take it for you. You've got to take it. And there's a victory ahead for you. But you're not going to have it until you trust God, move forward, advance, and he'll give you the strength to recover something that was lost in your life. And I don't know what he's putting on your heart. It could be something personal. It could be something in your family. It could be something related to your life, your work. But if today you're going to say to the Lord, I'm going to claim my lost ground through the strength that you give me, I want you to stand up right now. Would you stand where you are?